Good morning. If you're here for the first time, thanks for showing up at LifePoint today. My name is Donnie Williams. I'm the lead pastor. I'd love to meet you after the service. If you just come down front here and introduce yourself, I'd love to hear a little bit about your story. I'll be down here with some other pastors and we would love uh, to talk to you. We're continuing a series called The Story where we're starting at the beginning of the Bible and we're going all the way through to Revelation. Not today, but we're doing that over several months several weeks. We'll finish up in May uh, with completing the whole story of Scripture and how God pursues the hearts of people. If you've missed any of this message series, just go to our website, lifepointchurch.com slash the story. You can get some personal resources there. Uh, You can watch or listen to the messages out in the lobby. You can purchase one of the books called The Story, which is just a chronological Bible that goes through the key stories of Scripture from beginning to end. Well, this time of year, especially, we're all waiting. If, you're, if you have little kids, they're like waiting, right? Well, I have big kids and they're still like, what's in that box? I want to know. Most of our lives, if you think about it, is spent waiting. Waiting to get out of school, waiting to get married, waiting to have kids, waiting for those kids to be able to walk and then talk and then feed themselves and strap themselves in the car. Wasn't that like a glorious day? The first time they could get in and put their seatbelt on. I mean, my wife and I did a dance that day outside the car when that could happen. And then waiting for them to be able to take care of themselves a little bit more. And then waiting for them to get to where they're more independent. And then waiting for them to leave and go to college. And then waiting for them to go out and start their own lives. And, and maybe you're, the, you're one of those people and you're waiting like, I can't wait till I get to this next phase in life. I can't wait till I finish school. I can't wait till I find a a husband or a wife. I can't wait till I get a career. I can't, I just can't wait till I start making some money. I can't wait to get a house. Can't wait to have kids. Can't wait to work. And then it's, I can't wait to retire. Man, life has been tough. Most of our lives are spent waiting on what's next. And that's what today's story is all about. Waiting on what's next. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, raise your hand. The ushers will give you one of those. It's yours to keep if you would like to keep it. If you'd like to borrow it, you can do that. Or you can just follow along on the screen as I read from the scriptures up there. Well, today's story is about a young boy. A young boy, if you never even read the Bible, you've probably heard about some of the episodes in this young boy's life. His name was David. And we're going to look at a part of David's life long before he was king, when David first comes on the scene in Scripture. And David is in a kingdom, in the Israelite kingdom, that's under the leadership of this really ineffective turned ungodly king named Saul. If you were here last week, we talked about, our site pastor Rob Perry talked about King Saul and how he came to power and how they really wanted a king. If you missed that, go on our website and have a listen to that great message. But so the kingdom that Saul is reigning over is the kingdom of Israel, God's chosen people. And along comes this prophet. And his pro- this prophet's name is Samuel. And Samuel goes to this guy named Jesse. And when you read it, it's like, did that just happen? Well, this just didn't happen because Jesse is the dad of David, who will end up many generations later in that same line of family birthing the Savior. And so Samuel goes to Jesse and says, 
I want, I'm here to anoint one of your sons as king of Israel. They knew Samuel was a prophet. He shows up at Jesse's house. I'm here to anoint someone, uh, one of your sons as king. And automatically, culturally, they thought, well, it's the oldest one. It's the oldest one who happened to be tall and good looking. And he comes up and, and Samuel says, uh, no, that, that's not him. In, Sam, in Samuel 16, verse 6, Samuel says, Surely the Lloyd's anointed one, anointed one stands before the Lord. What, who stood before him was the oldest, probably the best looking, probably the hardest working, clearly the obvious choice. And then God starts to say, hey, you're, you're looking at this the wrong way. And when Samuel tries to make this guy king, God says this to him in the very next verse. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, these verses from God reveals a lot about God, and it reveals a lot about us. See, God is not looking for the strongest, for the best looking. God is not looking for the most talented This verse says that God is looking for heart. He's looking for desire. Because if whoever the new leader is going to be, if they're going to lead, if they're going to lead with integrity, and they're going to lead with vision and diligence, they have to have heart. Being good looking has very little to do with whether or not someone is an effective leader. So they discover, okay, it's not the oldest Must be some of the other ones. So six more brothers get paraded in front of Samuel. No, it's not that one. No, it's not that one. No, it's not that one. And Jesse, the father, has to go from, one of my boys is going to be king to, okay, I don't have any boys left. You keep choosing and choosing and choosing. And the prophet says to Jesse, are these all the sons you have? And Samuel says, well, there's there's still the youngest. He's a little boy and... He's just out tending sheep. So they just didn't even consider, well, maybe it could be the youngest one. Maybe that's who the king is going to be. And he wouldn't have been any more than a young teenager at this point. So David shows up and it says, it still says he was a good looking kid, but, but there was something different about him. He's young. And then God says, this is the one. And God looks at him and finds in him, the heart that he's looking for to lead. And so Samuel brings him out and he anoints him, literally pouring this oil over his head, rubbing it on his forehead as a sign that God's favor is upon him, that God's spirit is upon him, and he's going to be king. But from that day, it would be about 20 years before he would sit on the throne as the king of Israel. So now David knows he's going to be king, but he knows not now. He knows he has to wait. And so he has a choice. Well, how am I going to wait? He's either going to wait and say, well, I'm just going to kick my feet back and go back out in the field. Call me in 20 years when the other king dies and I'll come back and be king. He could have done that. Or he could have started to actively wait and actively pursue what God wanted him to do. 
He chose to use the time in waiting to get ready for what was next. Instead of just in a daydream way thinking, I'm going to be king someday. I'm going to be king. And looking at all of his brothers saying, none of you got chosen. I got chosen. I'm going to be king. He didn't use that time to gloat. He didn't use that time to go out and just, you know, go crazy. He used that time to prepare himself for what was coming next. And a lot of the way, reason that David was able to do that, that a young boy was able to approach, the, approach this in such a mature way, was because of the way he handled waiting. So we're going to look at some of the ways and some of the things that happened to David and what he learned while he waited. So if you're taking notes, write this down. First thing that David would have learned in this 20-year waiting period is solitude prepares me to hear from God. Now, solitude is something when I say it, you're probably going, what do you mean solitude? Like being lonely? I got that. I'm lonely. It's not loneliness. It's an intentional time you spend alone connecting with God, contemplating, praying, journaling, listening to what God might be telling you. That's what David did. And he learned, hey, solitude prepares me to hear from God. Now, today, when I look around and I see people alone, you know, like standing in line at Starbucks or at the grocery store. I mean, that can be a time to just kind of think and, and, and you're standing alone. But here's what everybody's doing. Isn't it? This is alone time. This is, you know, my, I got my thing here. It's my, okay, I'm alone. Oh, can you believe? Oh my gosh. What? I've never seen that show. What? Just going up and down and, and that's alone time. But that's not what David did. He wasn't distracted. He just kind of tended to the sheep and he would have had a lot of quiet time in the fields because what shepherds do, they watch sheep. Sheep are not real exciting animals. They don't do a lot, not a lot. They just kind of eat and that's it. They're not real smart. You got to guide them, show them where to go. But that would have been about it. They're quiet. They don't cut up much. They don't attack people. They're just sheep. And that's what he would have done. And what he was doing was preparing his heart for what was next. And that solitude got him ready to be king. It would have strengthened him. See, spending time alone with God will do your heart good. If you just started coming to church or you're just kind of checking out Jesus, find out what it's all about, that may seem really foreign to you. But spending time alone in silence, thinking, praying, it really will do a heart good. Now, I have, you know, what I do, my position requires quite a bit of responsibility. And that requires me to really kind of be on my game and to think and to be alone with God and to pray and to, to try to think about, well, what, God, what do you want us to do next? How should I communicate that? How should we do this? What's the big next step? How are we going to reach more people? How are we going to connect our whole city with God? Constantly, never stops, never stops, just keeps going. There comes times when my wife looks at me and says, have you been getting along with God? Because you need to, <laughs> you really need to go. You really need to spend a day. She can tell. She can tell when it's going on my strength rather than the strength I get from spending time alone with God. And your life is the same way with whatever you do. 
Solitude will help you connect with God in a way that nothing else can. And your spouse or your friends, they can probably tell. They may not verbalize it and say, you need to get alone. They may just say, hey, leave me alone for a while. (laughs) Don't come around. But you know, go for your run, your drive, or whatever it is you do to get alone. Something just feels better. And if you're at a confusing point in life where you don't know which way to go, and you've asked and asked and asked everybody hoping to get the answer you really want, stop doing that and just spend time alone with God. If you don't even know what that means or how to do that, come talk to me afterwards. I would love to kind of guide you through. This is what it means to have time with God. This is what it means to have solitude. Right now, we're at the busiest, most stressful time of everybody's year. It's Sunday, a couple days before Christmas. You probably got family in town or they're coming to town. You've been dreading it. And then Christmas Eve hits. You're going to bring a whole bunch of people to Christmas Eve service, right? And then, and then after that, it's like off to the races and whatever traveling you're doing or whatever stuff you have to do. And then you got you to gotta catch the after Christmas sales because that's like better than the after Thanksgiving sales. And you got to, you got to, you just start thinking, oh no, and life just starts getting busy again. Take some time to be alone. Even if it's 30 minutes, whatever it is, get time alone. God tends to use people that make themselves available to him. It's not that, that David was going out and making anything happen. He was just... He was just tending sheep. And God came to him. And if you want God to do something big with your life, try getting alone with him. Try spending time in solitude. It's interesting that about 900 years after this story of David that we're reading about, another big thing was getting ready to happen in Scripture. You can read about that in Luke chapter 2. And that's Jesus coming onto the scene, Jesus being born. And God could have written it in the sky. He could, have, he could have made an arrow in the sky pointing to Bethlehem. He could have done anything he wanted to. He could have dropped leaflets from the air. But the first place he went was to some shepherds that were doing the same thing David was doing. And in Luke chapter 2, it says this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. How many times do we miss... What God wants for us, because we're just not being quiet long enough to hear. Learning how to be quiet is a skill. It's definitely not natural in our culture. And it'll help all of us connect with God in new ways. So David waits. He doesn't know how long it's going to be, but he waits. And he continues to be diligent as a shepherd. He could have just said, I'm going to take it easy, but he doesn't. He listens, he learns, he starts to serve. Serve the king. The king that he knows he's going to replace one day. He doesn't know how it's going to happen, but he knows he's going to take the guy's place. And he discovered that while he was waiting, there's going to be battles. And if you're in a time in life where you're just waiting, you need to remember this. And write this down. I can face battles with confidence. Because David was getting ready, still as a young boy, 
to face some pretty big battles. His older brothers, they were all in Saul's army. They would have all helped fight all the enemies of Israel. And this one nation of enemies, the Philistines, there's this one episode where the Philistines are camped on one side of the hill. The Israelites are camped on the other side of the hill and they're getting ready to battle. And the the way they battled wasn't like it wasn't like Braveheart, if you've ever seen Braveheart. It's getting old, I know, but it wasn't like the kind of movie where, the kind of scene where they all just run together and start slaughtering each other. It was more like um, an ultimate cage fighting match. You know, the, the best warriors would fight out in front of everybody else, and whoever won, the other, the other nation would become slaves of the, the nation who won. And that's what's happening. They're on each side of the hill. They're trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to do this? How are we going to defeat our enemy? And this is what happens. First Samuel chapter 17. It says, the Philistines now mustered their army for battle. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and a bronze coat of mail that weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor and carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. In other words, this was a really scary guy. And what this really scary guy was saying, here I am, I'm Goliath, I'm nine feet tall, hopefully I intimidate everyone on the other side, but if you send a warrior out and he kills me, we will be your subjects, we will serve you, we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, then you're going to be our slaves. So the Israelite army was saying, we need a volunteer. And everybody was like, no, not me. He's over nine feet tall. His spear weighs 15 pounds. I can't can't do it. They're looking at this huge enemy and saying, I can't do it. And then little David shows up. He's simply just coming out to the battle lines to bring his older brother's something to eat, and he starts to hear the nasty words this giant Philistine is yelling at God's people. And he looks on the face of his brothers and the face of the other soldiers in Saul's army, and he sees fear. And in the middle of waiting, David is faced with a decision. Am I going to do something about this? Or am I just going to go back home and let somebody kill all of my people? And as a young, maybe around 15-year-old boy, he goes to the king and he says, I'll do it. I'll, I'll kill him. And the king was like, you don't understand. He's, he's too big. We can't defeat him. And David said, yeah, but he's so big. I can't miss. Just let me at him. Let me go. And so this is how it plays out. Saul replies, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So David is saying, look, this giant's got to go. 
He can't, you can't let him defeat God's army. And they say, yeah, but you're too small. And he goes, oh, you don't know what I've been doing. While I've been alone, while I've been in solitude taking care of my father's flock, let me, let me look back, Saul, and tell you how God has taken care of me and given me little victories along the way that helped me see that, hey, God is faithful. David could have stood up and said, I defeated a bear. I defeated a lion. Look how strong I am. He wouldn't have been strong. He would have been a scrawny 15-year-old boy. And immediately he attributes the victory to who? God rescued me. And David says, because back there God rescued me, why would I think it would be any different now? Why would I think God would desert me now? Because look what he did in the past when it involved a sheep, and now it involves his entire army. He's going to let me win. There's no question about it. It may not look logical, may not understand it, but he's going to let me win. So David starts when he got at this challenging place with something that we all need to think about. The wins in life, the way God has blessed, delivered us throughout our time of waiting for whatever's next. Every staff meeting that we have, when all the staff of LifePoint Church gathers together, we started out saying, I say, what are the wins we're experiencing right now? And we just go around the room and we say, this person's getting to know Christ better. This marriage got better. This addiction's getting broken. This person came in and had a lot of questions. This person took a big step and got in a small group. This person's moving along. And we share win after win after win. And then we're able to see God is really at work among us now. What are some challenges that we have to face? And all of a sudden, those big, gigantic challenges that we didn't start with look a lot smaller because we realize who's in control, who's in charge. What if you started to do that with your life? Instead of looking at the challenge first, you looked at the win first. You looked at how God had blessed you first. If you do that, it will give you strength. David did that and he got the strength to defeat the giant. Goliath keeps running his mouth and running his mouth. David doesn't listen. He just says, I'm going to shut you up. If you read that, that's a paraphrase, but that's what he says. <laughs> I'm going to shut you up. And he does. He slings the stone, it hits Goliath between the eyes, and he goes down. And you can imagine the silence on the field that day. When they're like, he won. He really won. It's like a last minute, last minute Hail Mary pass in a football game. It's like, he caught the thing. How did that work? They're not any good. They're the underdog. But there's something about the human spirit that loves the underdog. The big bowl season's getting ready to hit. You are probably rooting for an underdog. There's probably somebody you want to win or you think there's no chance, but there will be games that are going to end up, end up on the top 10 comebacks where the underdog beat the bigger, faster, better, better led team. I mean, who hasn't come out of a Rocky movie thinking you could beat somebody up? Yeah, I mean, I, I got to see, I'm in the early mid-80s, I got to see the Rocky movies in the theater, and you would come out thinking, don't say anything to me. Keep your mouth shut, because I can win. Because there's something inside of each of us that wants to win. That wants to see, yeah, but when somebody's down and they're on the ropes, they can come back and they can win. And so, this win by David gained so much confidence with the king, he got to move right into the king's court. 
and like hang out with the king. Now Saul didn't know that David had been anointed king, but he brought him in and David became a very close friend of the king and his family. He even ended up marrying one of the king's daughters. And when David later would write the Psalms, no doubt when he was saying these words, he was thinking back how God had delivered him when he said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation and my stronghold. So David got past this giant and he won. And then Saul began to get jealous of David's popularity. And Saul makes a decision, I'm just going to kill him. And he tries and tries and tries. And finally, David's wife, the daughter of Saul, says, they're going to try to kill you. I need to get you out of the city. So he leaves with some of his men. And they're out in the desert. And Saul's made a decision, I'm going to really kill him this time. He's so intimidated. Saul was no longer leading on God's behalf. And he's intimidated, he's, he's scared of David, and he decides he's going to kill him. And David's running in the desert because he's, he's trying to not kill this king. He's trying to be respectful of this king. And this is how the next episode, while David's waiting to be king, plays out. After Saul, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to his sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave, so David was hiding. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. What an opportunity. David armed to protect himself with his men in this cave in the middle of the desert. Saul's going with his guys and he said, I got to go to the bathroom. And so he goes up on the hill and he goes back into this cave. And he puts himself in the most defenseless position anybody could be in. He removes his robe, he lays it down and David's men are saying, that's it. Get him ram a spear through his heart and he'll be over David and then you'll be king. Makes perfect sense. He's trying to kill David. David kills him. David becomes king and now leads on God's behalf. Makes sense. Why wouldn't David do it? David actually thought about it. He got close enough to cut off a piece of his robe and then he went back and said, I just can't do it. Well, why couldn't he do it? Well, God has this thing about murdering people. He doesn't like us to do that. And so David realizes this guy might be trying to kill me and may be chasing me, but this is not the way I want to become king. This is not the way. This could not be what God meant when he said I was going to be king, even though it seemed like the right thing to do. David understood something that we all need to understand while we're waiting on what's next is waiting on God's plan is always better than going with my plan. Always. See, we're not really good at waiting in our culture. We're not good at waiting for what's next. We want to make it happen, right? You, you want to buy something? Do you save the money and wait? Or you just say, well, it's only you know, 200 bucks a month or 800 whatever it is a month, and, and I'm just not going to wait. I'm just going to do it. So I sign my name, swipe the card. 
And you find yourself in a mountain of debt. Or I want to feel good. I want, to, I want things to feel good in life. So I'm going to go out and, and engage in activity that I normally wouldn't. Just because I'm tired of waiting for life to get better and to feel better. God's got a plan for marriage. And some people get so ready to get married. I got, they end up marrying the wrong person because they didn't wait. And then life is really challenging after that. Or teenagers. There's a bunch of teenagers in here. You don't want to wait. You, want the, you just want to let your body go the way it goes when you're with your boyfriend or girlfriend. And you don't want to wait for God's plan for sex. You take it into your own hands and then you've given away a gift that was really meant for your husband or wife all because, hey, I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait on this, but waiting is God's plan and waiting on His plan is always better than going with mine. And David would have thought of that, thought, how will I, like, I explain how I became king when my grandkids are around the dinner table saying, Grandpa, tell us how you became king. Well, listen, kids, I was hidden in the back of this cave, scared to death, running for my life. And the real King Saul came in to take a royal time at the bathroom, okay? <laughs> he, he came in to use the bathroom. And I just rammed a spear through his heart. You could see the grandkids like, can you, can you say, uh, is there a better way to tell it, Grandpa? David knew this is not the way God wanted this to happen. So David and Saul made up because Saul figured out, you could have killed me and you didn't, so you really are being respectful of my leadership. You really do want to follow me as your king. They made up. Saul ended up getting killed in battle the way God had planned it. And then David becomes king. And what started out as this young teenager who faced battles waiting on God. Who ended up going with God's plan instead of his plan. David ends up sitting on the throne realizing he had to look around at days and think, you know, God can really use anybody. God can use anybody to do anything. If he can use a little shepherd boy to lead a nation, he can use you. You may think your life's a wreck. You may think you have so many mistakes behind you or going on right now, or you may be unsure of your future. You don't know what's next, but God used a little shepherd boy that everybody else forgot to lead a nation, which ended up birthing a savior. See, because through the line of David, Jesus was born. David led a nation. Christ came to earth to lead our souls. See, normally little shepherd boys, they don't kill nine feet giants. Nine feet tall giants. And they don't become kings. But when God is in the mix, they do. So while you're waiting for what's next... Let God use you. Even if you're in the middle of a difficult time, you can still allow God to use you to make a difference while you wait. And while you wait for whatever's next in life, realize that solitude will allow you to discern the voice of God better than anything else. That as you're waiting, you're going to face some giants. There's going to be battles. There's going to be struggles. 
But in the end, going with God's plan is always better than going with my plan. Let's pray. God, thank you for this encouraging message from the life of David. May this message help us as we wait for what's next in life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.